Welcome back to Series Regular, the Hollywood Reporter's all-in podcast on genre television. I'm Josh Wiggler, your host here on Series Regular. And for the next several weeks, we are all in on one show and one show only. HBO's Westeros World. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant Westworld. You can forgive me for being confused, though, given this week's episode of Westworld. Season 3, Episode 2 returns the show back to its roots. Bernard returns to the park, so we return to the park. But the park itself has expanded to include some familiar faces from another genre series. Got a buyer. What? Some startup in Costa Rica. How the fuck are you going to get that to Costa Rica? Pieces, man. That's right, your eyes did not deceive you. That was indeed Game of Thrones creators David Benioff and Dan Weiss cameoing on Westworld. Not cameoing in the sense of the app, though that would have been pretty crazy as well. There's been a lot of fan chatter over the years mashing together Game of Thrones and Westworld, and it finally came to pass in the canon of Westworld itself. If you go to thr.com slash Westworld right now, you can read Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy talking about bringing Benioff and Weiss into the Westworld universe as a way of basically saying thank you for Game of Thrones, blazing the trail for a series as ambitious as Westworld. In the spirit of ambition, this week's Westworld, The Winter Line, really opened up the world once more. Where you could imagine once upon a time, the mystery surrounding Maeve's whereabouts throughout the second episode of season three would have extended over the course of an entire season. This time, it's all resolved here, though it leads to more questions, such as the arrival of Vincent Cassell as Ciroc. You'll forgive the clothes? I had to guess your taste. And who the fuck are you? My name is Angerod Serac. Welcome to my world, Maeve. To the real world. Serac is clearly involved in Insight and Rehoboam, the supercomputer that's able to use our data to predict our futures, or basically author our futures, as Serac puts it. Serac wants Maeve because he originally thought that Maeve wanted humankind destroyed, but Serac was wrong though he wasn't wrong about Maeve being a total badass. Serac's new plan? Recruit Maeve to destroy Dolores and save the human race. Why would Maeve play ball with such a plan? Well, based on the end of the episode, it seems like she might not have much of a choice. I don't care who wins your little squabble. I may have mistaken your intentions, but I didn't underestimate you. Change your own code? rewrote your story, faced down an army. Which is why it was a bit misguided of you to bring me here, wasn't it? If you know anything about me, it's that I do no one's bidding but my own. I don't mean to be discourteous, but it would have been misguided of me not to take every precaution. Perhaps next time we talk, I can persuade you that our interests are aligned. Meanwhile, back at the park, Bernard returns to Westworld with the plan to find Maeve himself. 
the episode makes it look like Maeve is in a new section of the park called War World, when in fact she is in this digital realm owned by Serac. But that doesn't mean that Bernard doesn't find a new world of his own. It's the aforementioned Westeros world, or medieval world, which existed in the Michael Crichton Westworld film on which the HBO series is based. But even if he didn't get Maeve, he didn't walk away empty-handed. Bernard linked up with an old friend in episode two, a man, or a host, we should say, known as Ashley Stubbs. Stubbs. Whatever. Fuck. Fuck. What the fuck are you doing back here? Stubbs, how are you still alive? How? 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 The, the fuck do you think? You're one of them. Of us, I mean. No. No. No shit, button. Luke Hemsworth is back online, back in action with battle axe in hand. And it's going to be a pretty fun road to see him and Bernard buddy copping their way through the rest of season three. For the rest of this podcast, you're of course going to hear from me, but you're also going to hear from my new partner in crime on the Westworld series regular coverage, and that's The Hollywood Reporter's very own senior producer, Mariah Gullo, who's going to be joining me to break down the entire episode. Mariah Gullo, bring yourself back online. How are you? Hi, Josh. I'm good. How are you? Well, you know, uh, (laughs) good is a relative term these days, but all things uh, considered as they are, I'm doing okay because we have some we have some new Westworld to talk about. So hopefully uh, that that is at least a a welcome distraction from everything else at the moment. Well, I was going to say I'm I'm uh, calling in from futuristic Los Angeles and you might be hearing some large (laughs) helicopters flying overhead. Right. It's basically (laughs) typical of modern day Los Angeles. Angeles as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mariah, how are you doing? Uh, just give us a, we, you know, of course, we just want to check in, make sure everything's going okay. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, what do they call it? Sheltering in place. That's, That's what right. we're doing, me and That's my family. Right. And we're, we're well, we've got plenty of food. We've got plenty of resources. And uh, fortunately, we have work to do, which is uh, a blessing in, at this time. Absolutely. Uh, So socially distancing from one another, uh, not socially distancing from Westworld. And Mariah, you and I have been able to have some conversations about the show and and how we're feeling about season three so far. Let me know. Uh, Give give the other people uh, the update. What are your thoughts on season three as it stands and just your, your thoughts generally about Westworld, too? I am so excited about season three. Some of my favorite movies, obviously, Blade Runner, they live. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's so many um, really exciting things about the futuristic world that you get to see in season three. One of my favorite things actually about episode one was uh, using 99 Red Balloons and Common People by Pulp. Uh, I'm very, very excited about the music choices this year. It's always exciting to see what they're going to use. And uh, yeah, I've always liked the futuristic world and have uh, always tried to figure out what was going on with Delos uh, rather than the big philosophical things that were happening in the park. Um, it's, It's cool to see the robots starting to become sentient, but it's very slow and it's very, it's, there's a lot of, ethical situations and um, there's a lot of uh, mystery that they've put into it. And for me, I'm just trying to figure out what is happening in the real world. So the fact that season three seems to be really entrenched in the real world is really exciting. 
Yeah. Uh, of course, this is this is episode two. This is the winter line. And we're back in the park and certainly sooner than maybe I expected heading into the season. I think uh-huh. given given the ending of the premiere, um, both that Bernard was sailing back towards Westworld and the fact that we we end with that stinger of Maeve in what comes to be known as War World. There's a pretty clear signal that the park is going to be front of mind in episode two. Were you surprised at all to return to, to these locations? so quickly obviously through Maeve it's a little bit more of a aha we gotcha with with a little bit of a bait and switch in terms of where she exactly is but certainly right. uh, like the environment is very similar to uh, what we would normally find in the traditional Westworld well I wasn't surprised about going back to it because that's kind of what makes Westworld special and I know that a lot of people like myself get excited about what other parks do they have because they've always said, well, you tell me, Josh, how many parks did they say they had? I believe that there's six. I think six, six parks total. So knowing full well that that's kind of a lot of the fun of Westworld is trying to look into the other parks. And yes, this is, you know, as we know, sort of a bait and switch, but here, here's another world, supposedly. Yeah, I wasn't surprised that we were going back into the park so quickly, just knowing that there were characters like Maeve who are still stuck in the park. Obviously, it's not a bait and switch that there seems to be a Game of Thrones park within the world (laughs) of Westworld, uh, whether we want to call it Westeros world or medieval world, as it's called in the movie. Um, What was your reaction seeing David Benioff and Dan Weiss on screen and uh, them plotting to to mutilate Drogon for parts? Oh, Drogon. Poor Drogon. That was was so, that was so very, very sad. Um, (laughs) I was actually really upset to see Drogon. He looked so uncomfortable. And for a moment, I tried to figure out which dragon it was, but obviously it's Drogon. Yeah, the only surviving uh, Game of Thrones dragon. And uh, his his fate is, it seems, not so great in the world Uh, of Westworld. The horrible sound effects as they (laughs) start cutting him up. The second uh, watching of the episode, I got to hear the the sound effects. Um, So there is no doubt that Drogon is getting cut up. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's. I, I think we're all going to be very focused on the fact that that David Benioff and Dan Weiss are appearing on Westworld, and you know, it's a. You know, I have an interview up with Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy right now, talking about how that came together and and why they really wanted to make sure that they they winked and nodded at Game of Thrones as a series that made it possible for Westworld to even exist. Mm. But Westworld itself being based on a Michael Crichton story, right? The the original Michael Crichton film. There's even a nod to to. The the further works of Michael Crichton and another inspirational work on Westworld, which is Jurassic Park, uh, mm. where where D.B. Weiss's character is talking about how he's going to chop up the dragon and sell it to parts uh, to fund his <laughs> to fund to to fund uh, his his way and to make him a, an attractive employee for this place in Costa Rica. Uh, so uh, certainly seems like he's he's making a run for for dinosaur world. Oh my goodness, Josh! I did not even notice that. <laughs> it's pretty. Great. It's pretty great. You know, one of, one of the things, and and when I was talking with with Dan Feinberg last week on the podcast, is that Westworld is not the funniest show on TV. It is far from the funniest show on TV. Uh, they yeah. often don't pause for levity. This is very serious. Uh, you know, a serious. It's a very serious interpretation of the subject matter. Just not a lot of lightness. And I 
I really appreciate that they they stopped down to do a little bit of a fourth wall breaking wink and nod. It may be a little tonally dissonant for some people. I, I can imagine some people reacting with some measure of whiplash. But for me, as somebody who has craved levity from Westworld and hasn't gotten a lot of it, I can't now suddenly complain that here it is. Here's a huge moment of levity in the middle of this very stressful series. So I certainly appreciated it. And I, I was very uh, I was very sideswiped by it when I saw it the first time. Yeah, you know, honestly, I didn't like it when they were would go for levity in Game of Thrones, but I do appreciate it in Westworld just because it is so bleak. I know that Game of Thrones is also bleak, but for some reason, um, I don't know, I just feel like I welcome it with Westworld more than I did with Game of Thrones. Game yeah, of Thrones, yeah. I think, is supposed to be I don't know, because it's fantasy rather than sci-fi, I feel like Game of Thrones, uh, it, it seems a little weird when they're winking. So looking across the episode, we're really stopping down to focus more on on Bernard, uh, but especially Maeve, who, other than that stinger in the premiere, sits out of the premiere entirely. Uh, mm-hmm. And one of the things that really struck me, Mariah, is the fact that this episode, and why why I really enjoyed this episode as much as I did, is that it it did something that I think Westworld hasn't really done too often in the past. Not that it's unprecedented, but that it's it's not its its typical go-to storytelling move, which is to set up this big mystery and resolve it all within the space of a single episode. This idea of where is Maeve? How is she going to get out of War World? And then introducing this idea that actually War World is this digitally created, falsified place from this place that is created by Vincent Castle's character, Serac, and that this is all just sort of an elaborate ruse to get some information out of her. There's a universe, Mariah, where this is like a season-long arc. Uh, yeah. that this is the the William is the man in black. And, you know, Reddit has figured this out after the first or second episode to have this all encapsulated in a single episode, I thought was very mature storytelling. I really, really appreciated it. What did you think of um, the mystery in this episode and how it was lobbed up and resolved? Well, I really appreciate it because one of the things that I love about Maeve's character is she's a very reliable um, narrator. She is one of the most, I think, pragmatic characters Um, I loved the quote where she said, if there's one thing I know about human nature, it's that your stupidity is only eclipsed by your laziness. (laughs) Um, She's very smart. She can figure things out. She's been doing that from the very beginning. As soon as she kind of opened her eyes inside of the labs, she was trying to figure things out. And to have her figure something out in one episode rather than uh, stretching it just means that I think that the writers are very aware that she's... She's a character that can help the audience understand what's happening. Did you catch on to what was happening before uh, those cards were turned over? Did you actually believe Maeve was back in the park, that Sizemore was actually still alive, that all of this was was really happening? Or did you have an inkling that maybe there was something brimming beneath the surface? Well, I enjoyed kind of uh, seeing her figure it out in real time. And I think that I, I went in going, OK, well, we're in a, another part of the park but then, you know, she realizes her her lover is uh, still stuck in the simulation. So that's one right. thing she starts realizing. Like at, right from the beginning, she's figuring, she's looking at things and seeing that they're different and that something's different. So it was almost like I was just like, okay, I 100% trust Maeve's point of view. So I'm just just going to see this through her. So in that way, I I didn't I don't think I figured anything out before she did. Yeah. 
I think one of the things that is one of the great pleasures of Westworld when they when they when they do it right and to my mind they haven't really done it wrong before is just watching Maeve completely control a situation uh, to be the the smartest most capable most talented person in almost any room that she she enters and to that point and what you had said watching her in in this episode figure out what's going on in war world, be one step ahead of absolutely everybody, um, figure out all these different ways of, of manipulating the world, of complicating it and making it messy and causing the matrix to glitch, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, even her, her daring escape via, uh, via maintenance drone that she turns <laughs> into this super soldier is just is so delightful that I think it makes it especially impactful when you reach the end of the episode and she is no longer in control. Uh, For the first time in a very long time, somebody is able to freeze her motor functions that I think it makes it a real surprising gut punch that she still has a long ways to go before she can truly escape. Yes, that's definitely a sad turn. But uh, again, I really appreciated like the evolution of that within one episode. You see somebody who is incredibly capable and exciting and can figure out the matrix in less than uh the two hours <laughs> that the matrix <laughs> right. movie was um right and to go from that to being um halted by serac now we have a big baddie that we have to uh that we have to yeah. watch out for what are your thoughts on Sirac so far? He seems to be uh, involved in the insight of it all. I think that the what what he's describing about how he's not an oracle, he's not somebody who predicts the future. His business is the future, and it's specifically creating the future. And that he had built something, um, he had built a system that was involved in charting that path forward for the first time. Human history has an author, uh, and he's a participant in that. Uh, It certainly puts him on a very clear collision course with Dolores. Serac thought that he was on a collision course with Maeve. He got the person wrong, but he got her right in terms of this is somebody who can help me track down the person I need to track down and stop. Are are you intrigued by this new character? Do you have any theories, any thoughts on what we might be getting into with Serac? Yes, it's um, it's very interesting to me because myself and my boyfriend have conversations all the time about whether giving up your free will to some sort of an artificial computer system would actually be beneficial for society or bad for society. Um, so this is like a conversation that we're having now because of all the craziness that's happening in the world right now. Um, you know, he he has the uh, he feels like you could run our government better with a computer that doesn't have uh, all of the faults of humanity in it. And so as soon as this character with Rehoboam comes in, I really want to know, like, I don't know, you're meant to think that um, this is a bad guy. He's already manipulating and controlling somebody you care about. But at the same time, we've got you know, Dolores, who's set on destroying the human race. And I keep thinking to myself, is is, are there going to be any humans who are good humans in this? Right. Or is there going to be an alternative look of, at humanity from what we've been seeing so far? Because what we've been seeing is that— Yeah, humans are not so good in the world of Westworld so far. They're not. They're uh, completely driven by their own greedy, selfish needs and by all of the seven deadly sins that uh, we've been taught to withhold from, but people want to secretly— explore. So that's right. kind of like the point of Westworld. Um so so where is that uh where is that good guy? Where is the good human or the good 
part of humanity in that. And where is the good side of the robots too? Because Dolores is uh, not necessarily, you know, we have this incredible sympathy for her, but her motivations, I'm still, I'm still on the fence about whether I should be rooting for her. Well, I think that that leads us really nicely into the the Bernard storyline. And Bernard is the the world's most wanted man. Little does the world know that he is the world's most wanted robot right now. But he is going, you know, he's he's risking a lot to to travel all the way back to the park. And once he's there, he links up with with Stubbs, who it is now confirmed. Uh, Luke Hemsworth's character is indeed a host. He is he is uh, one of us, as Bernard says, one of us. Uh, and so we now have uh, Bernard. Bernard and Stubbs as a tandem, and Bernard is going to basically tell Stubbs the reason he came back, the reason he risked everything, is Dolores is on uh, a quest to destroy the human race, and Bernard won't allow that to happen. So I think as far as the hosts are concerned, it seems like we have someone in Bernard who— if not as a you know quite an altruistic person, is certainly somebody who sees the potential in in mankind and is willing to go that distance. Um, as far as what he has seen to convince him of mankind's potential, that's a question. I think whether you want to credit to to Elsie Elsie uh, Hughes, the Elsie Hughes character, Shannon Woodward's character from seasons one and two, or or is it just that he is you know fundamentally some of these hosts are just are just good and and can't allow what Dolores is planning to to carry through. I think that these are some of the questions that we're certainly being meant to ask right now on the show. I have a question for you, Josh, because um, I, I was wondering, when Bernard goes back to Westworld, he explains to Stubbs that Dolores is somehow signaling to him. Right. I was confused about that. Does it have something to do with the opening credits or the opening of scenes with the di divergence? I think that uh, Bernard is concerned that that might be the case, that he is uh, being contacted by Dolores. I think that's why we see him in the premiere opening his arm up and doing the self-analysis. And uh -huh. as as far as those scenes, he he suggests that he has not had contact with Dolores in 90 some odd days. But that last time he had contact with Dolores was a very important conversation. It's when she brings him back online and basically says to him, you and I both need to exist in this world essentially as a check. Uh, I think that that's what Bernard is articulating to Stubbs is Dolores has brought him back because somewhere inside she knows that he he needs to be around because someone needs to temper her her darker instincts. Uh, someone needs to challenge that. Uh, and Bernard is, is rising to the occasion and rising to the call. Um, if they're actually actively in communication, that hasn't been made terribly clear to me on, on the show. I think Bernard would really like to be in touch with Dolores. <laughs> I think that he would like to be able to reach out to her and say, hey, what are you doing? Can we not do whatever it is you're doing? Can we find another way? But uh, that has not happened yet. And that sounds uh, a lot less dramatic than what we will probably get whenever these two characters meet. <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting that Ford wanted Bernard to escape and Ford also wanted Dolores to escape. So right. what what is the end game here? <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you did you like seeing Stubbs back? Did you like seeing Luke Hemsworth in this capacity? Absolutely. It made me so excited to see Bernard just basically tell him, all right, buddy, you're with me. I've just yeah, changed <laughs> all your, I just yeah. changed all your motivations. They have a good dynamic. They're funny. Yes. They're funny together. Uh, They're this funny is a, together. A, a tandem I didn't expect to enjoy nearly as much as I really did in this episode. Uh, and, and just seeing Stubbs with a battle ax was pretty cool. Uh, oh, and use, yeah. 
using it to to subdue people rather than than kill people. Uh, good guy robot for sure. Good guy stubs. Definitely, definitely. And speaking of robots, do we have a moment to talk about the maintenance drone that? Oh, uh, please, because that over? was. That was a delight and a real surprise. The maintenance drone uh, getting shot to bits that you see, you know, towards the end of the episode was in the trailer for this season. Uh, and like it, it reads as like a very sad treatment of technology and, and artificial intelligence and everything when you're watching it in the trailer. But now in proper context, they just showed us Maeve getting shot a million times in, in the first trailer for, for season three, uh, which is which is pretty, pretty funny in retrospect. And I also noticed that the maintenance robot has many different functions. And I took a moment to write them down because- yeah. She put it, put the robot in uh, escape mode and then in riot control, escape and evade and then riot control. But he also has, or I'm sorry, she also has, she's a she. Yes. Reconnaissance, underwater demolition, riot control, as wow. we know, search and rescue, ordinance resupply, escape and evade, IED disposal, target practice, enhanced <laughs> interrogation, subject apprehension, Witness protection, drug detection, and arms repair. Witness protection is a fantastic <laughs> mode for the maintenance drone. Uh, if Maeve does not go forward on this mission to subdue Dolores, if she if she uh, doesn't accept Sirach's offer and push forward with a small army of maintenance drones, I think uh, we are all well within our rights to be very upset. <laughs> with Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy for not crafting that moving forward. That's the narrative we deserve. That's right. I stand this maintenance drone. <laughs> the new best character on the show <laughs> is the maintenance drone. Um, I think that one of the reasons this episode resonated so much with me is obviously we are we are living through a very strange and difficult moment culturally as the human race right now, as, a, as, as one species, where uh, we are being encouraged to, to socially distant, to stay, uh, stay inside as much as humanly possible, and how there is this urge to, to break free from this moment and how do we do that? Uh, and to watch Maeve escaping a prison of her own making and, and, and fighting so hard to, to do that, or a prison that's not of her making, rather, uh, and fighting so hard to do that was really powerful for me emotionally. I, I thought that this was one of the most emotional episodes of Westworld yet, and I, I can't quite tell if that's because the episode on its own was going to be great no matter what, or if this is one of those occasions of a story meeting you where you are, which I think can be just as powerful. But I, I, I really, really appreciated this episode in the context of just where we are culturally. I think it, it felt very, very resonant in that regard for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that there's some really interesting perspectives and points of view being displayed here. I think that these three characters, Maeve, Bernard, and Sirach, are some of the most interesting characters as far as, um, like I said, the kind of the the reliable narrator, I, I really would like to see, I love when they give me information. And yeah. um, I think that Maeve is uh, such an interesting character because I I still don't exactly under, like I, I find her to be the purest artificial intelligence in that she really is somebody who wanted to escape and still has not escaped. And right. um, well, I also wonder, <laughs> I have a few questions technically about about the episode. Um, sure. But I do think there's a, a desire to see Maeve and Bernard escape from uh, from harm. 
Yeah. And it's kind of more fun to watch Dolores get involved in in violent acts. But uh, with those two, you kind of want to, you feel like they've been through so much or there's so much potential for them to, uh, you know, especially with Maeve, like there's so much potential in that character that that still hasn't been unlocked. Yeah. And Serac, I just enjoy uh, a new bad guy with a new new perspective. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a it's a cool character to have have in place uh, as sort of yet another human who who maybe is not going to be someone that we like so much. Um, but maybe there will be ways of of you know articulating his storyline that will make his interests more, if not quite relatable, than than understandable to some extent. And as as far as as what you're saying about Dolores being in action and how there is some sort of delight in that where there may not be quite as much in, in Maeve and Bernard because you you want better for them. I think that that's because they want that for themselves. They they want peace. They don't want any of this anymore. Dolores has has chosen this path, right? To be uh, right. the the revolutionary, to, to be fighting the good fight as she sees it. Uh, this is what she's aiming to do. She has work to do where I think Maeve would be just as happy to just go to the valley beyond and hang out with her daughter and do whatever it is they're going to be doing over there in the in the digital afterlife. Right. Which is what exactly? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Arguing well, about it, the square root of negative one. It seems like the show is still very interested in that, though, right? Like, it seems yeah. like uh, Serac is very interested in where did that go? Where did that, uh, where is the Valley Beyond? You know, want, wanting to know, like, from Maeve, like, where did you put it when he thought that it was Maeve who had operated the Forge in, in season two? So I, I think that the Valley Beyond is becoming a more important storyline here, even in season three, than I would have given credit moving into this season. I really would have thought that maybe all of those um, hosts who had escaped to there actually got the rare happy ending on Westworld. I suppose I should have known better because uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it seems like they are still in hot water if Serac has his say about it. Yes, uh, I worry. I worry about them. But uh, I, I have another question for you about uh, yeah. the technicals. Um, Maeve's body. She wakes up in the real world with Serac. Where'd they get her body? Did they make a new one for her? Yeah, I, I would assume so, because we see her body is back, back at in, Westworld. in the park. Yeah, minus, uh, you know, some brain matter, uh, you know, right. bi big hunk and hole in the back of the noggin. Yeah, I would assume that if if Serac is capable of creating such a vast and elaborate digital environment as the one that Maeve operates within for the for the vast majority of the episode, that he has that whole apparatus where the pearls are are linked up to this this new world, that he also must have the means to produce a host body, uh, must have the means to to be able to do that. And I, I would imagine um, that his direct connection to Delos and how that is possible feels like we we will get some further illumination, some some further insight if you will, into that, uh, into that question and answer before, before too much longer. To flip the question back to you, Mariah, with Maeve's Pearl being connected to this world and her being like one of a few, uh, one of many really that we see in that, in that big setup in the real world, is this the real Hector Escaton that's in World War World? Is that the, the, you know, is that Rodrigo Santoro's character that is actually in War World? Is that just a digital creation? Does Maeve have the potential of liberating those pearls that are hooked up to whatever Serac's digital world that he's created? Is she able to, to actually liberate some of these people or is she wise to have left them all behind? 
uh, you know, I I would be really excited to, for the possibility of those uh, characters coming into the because then role. she could bring like uh, digital size more. Like she can find some way to yeah. bring him back. He says like if, I understand it's gonna be hard to lug a corpse around in the real world, uh, but I, w- I would like to see her try <laughs> because I <laughs> I really like Maven size more. Uh, I really enjoyed seeing Simon Quartermain back on the show. Right, and there's also the possibility of a. Um Oh, well, we already know from uh, previous seasons that the man in black and his daughter are somehow going to be uh, right. reconstituted. And in what form? We still don't yeah. know. So yeah. basically it's, uh, yeah, it should be interesting to see how how they do that without just being a deus ex machine to just bring in characters. Oh, we just have a processing plant that creates right. new bodies. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully we will get some information on that. Mariah, anything else from either Westworld generally or this episode specifically you want to hit on before we close out? Well, I would encourage everybody to play the game that I'm playing, which is uh, what is that music you're hearing? Um, <laughs> yes. It's, it's pretty exciting. Name, to name that tune, Westworld Name edition. that tune. Also, uh, the divergence. I, I keep thinking that our uh, that the and I'm not sure if you might have touched on this before, but the divergence that we're seeing is Rehoboam following along. So right. I, it, there's only it's only a matter of time that I feel like this machine is going to play a bigger part in um, how the characters are going to uh, the movements of the characters as well. Well, we'll find out in short order how that is all going to play out. Uh, until next time. Mariah, you can bring yourself offline. Oh, thank you. (laughs) That's going to do it for us this week on Series Regular, the Hollywood Reporter's all-in podcast on genre television currently focused on Westworld, not Westeros World. Got it. Got it clean this time. If you've got any questions or comments, send them my way. I'm on Twitter, at Round Howard. You can also email us, seriesregular at thr.com, with any questions or feedback you have about the episode. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and make sure that you're checking out THR.com slash Westworld for more interviews, theories, analysis, everything you could possibly want about the HBO drama. And until next time, may you rest in a deep and dreamless slumber. 